Yo, what's up? Welcome to Cheers to Beers. I'm your host, Jess Keller-Poole, and right now I am joined by my frequent co-host, Shauna Cormier. Shauna Cormier, I'm more than just a host. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that was good. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. Dude, I just got home and I made myself another coffee and like I turned and like hit it with my elbow and it spilled, it like fell to the ground, just spilled all over my legs, all cool. over the whole RV. And I just was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like when we were judging the other day and we're all like rushing and then you hit the one with your elbow. <laughs> it's just a nightmare. So I was thinking about how you named this Bob and Frank. Yeah. And I was like, who would be Bob and who would be Frank? I know. I'm sad that I didn't put my name in the corner here as one of them because you put Bob. So I guess I'm Frank. I just don't know. I put Bob because I don't know if I'm Frank, but I think we're both Frank. <laughs> kind of kind of feeling Frank. We might be both. Yeah. Like if Franconia is supposed to be kind of like unexpected and not quite to style. Right. Then I don't know. Do you have any coffee left in that mug? I had to make a new one. It spilled <laughs> all it was every single bit of it was gone on the ground, all all over my white shirt. Of course. Of course you're wearing white. I was like, this is the last thing I need. And I went to REI and I got Finn a really cute jacket. And he needed a a waterproof jacket. Like, yeah, I know, right? It's like hard to find a good raincoat. Um, did you in Tucson? Did you have a Burlington Coat Factory? Yes. Okay, yeah, that was like the spot. It was like a little bit discount because it was like an outlet. Oh. Yeah, we're more than just coats. <laughs> is that what the? Is that what the? Thing was, Burlington Coat Factory for both the great coats. Yeah, I, this, that's what I was gonna say. Is this morning when I made my coffee, I I've been doing pour over recently, and I put way too much coffee grounds in there, so it was so strong and just like immediately made me buzzed and have a headache at the exact same time. So just like, yeah, it was just like not you're that just efficient. Sweating. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Your eyes are all bloodshot. <laughs> it is a fine line between like feeling good and then feeling like on crack. Oh, yeah. That's why I can't drink cold brew anymore. That shit makes me feel like no. I'm high. Cold brew needs to be discontinued. <laughs> or like Unless... just don't make it so concentrated. I think it people, it's just hard to know what you're, what's happening. It's like fucking Wild West. <laughs> it, whew, for real. I um, trust it. Nah, I don't really, I just like can't handle, I'm not like old, but I just can't handle that amount of caffeine anymore. Makes me um, nervous. So, so nervous. <laughs> um, so this episode, we uh, chatted with Ben Howe of uh, Otherlands in Bellingham, which is a relatively new brewery. I think he said they opened just three months ago. So three really months. in the middle of covid which is gnarly um but yeah so from because i heard about them through other people and people it was steve ceo of pilsner fest who was like 
yeah, man, we're going to have other lands at Pilsner Fest. I'm so stoked on it. And I was like, what, what is that? He, he had to, and then yeah. as soon as I started talking to other people around, they're like, oh my God, yes, other lands is going to be so good. So there was definitely some hype surrounding it. And I guess, while it, they, you know, oh no, I was just going to say that, um, while their website doesn't say that they're like a Franconian brewery because they do like IPAs and pale ales as well. It seems like what people were excited about was this kind of Franconian take on beer, which is why they seemed interesting and appealing to me. Yeah. Because for me, the only like Franconian beer I've ever had is a heater Allen. Mm. And um, it's freaking good. I mean, it was like a almost like a weird Mertzen alt hybrid. Like it was like bitter, like an Ooh. alt. Yeah, like kind of like the same sort of malt character. But I was gonna say that Ben, I didn't know this before we talked to him, um, came from Wayfinder. So I feel like whenever someone starts a brewery that comes from a brewery that's pretty, pretty damn good, you're like, yeah. ooh, what do they have up their sleeves? Right. And I think it is kind of funny how some of the top lager breweries between Washington and Oregon, they all have kind of like come from each other. It's like Chuck and Nut is kind of like the OG Washington State lager brewery. They do other mm-hmm. things besides lagers, but, you know, that's what they're really good at. And then because I'm pretty sure Kevin Davey. Yeah, he came. Yeah, he came from Chuck and Nut. The people who started Heater Allen, I think, came from Chuck and Nut. And then it's like. Ben came from Wayfinder and now started Otherlands. So there's definitely a little bit of a connection between all these people who are really good at lager brewing. Yeah, it's all great. Yeah. I want I want uh, it all. <laughs> same. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So, okay, this topic today is basically Bavaria and Franconia. And I think we kind of got started on this topic because it was Oktoberfest. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of like the last week of Oktoberfest, I guess, because it's usually 16 to 18 days. Um, And so we kind of, I started learning about Bavaria because we were teaching a class on Oktoberfest. So I started doing some research into Bavaria. And then when we drank and recorded with uh, John Marty at Lowercase, uh, that's where the topic really came up because we were drinking that Eyinger, um, what was it? It was like an export logger of sorts. Oh, um, the Yars, the hundred oh, yeah, year one. Pronounce, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like it was really longer. something that's just too too gurgly to pronounce. <laughs> um, and it was him who was like, "Oh, well, Franconia versus Bavaria." And at that point, I hadn't really heard that like a versus or like what's the difference between them. And then we did our taste test, um, and. So then we just started kind of talking about it. We're like, so what what the fuck does Franconian style even mean, really? And then when Otherlands came up from Pilsner Fest, it just kind of made sense to talk to Ben and see what he had to say about it. Yeah, these I was like, the bits I knew were just like a blurb from Michael Jackson from his like book right, that was yeah. like 20, 30 years old. Yeah, it, more than that probably, and then just like having a beer, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, right. There's a thing about Franconia. Like, I don't even know exactly where that is. No, for real. Yeah, and I think it's really easy for um, American beer drinkers, especially if you haven't traveled, you haven't been to Germany. It can be really easy to generalize what just like German beer. Like mm. German beer is in a box and that's what it is. And 
on one hand, it's kind of true because just German brewing laws, there's a history of it being really regulated and strict. And I think that definitely still continues there. So you kind of have an idea of what that means, but it's like, unless you're in Germany or like, you know, this stuff, there really is more to differentiate between these. And I went on fucking Google maps because I was like, I want to know the actual distance between Franconia and Bavaria. And the main city in Bavaria is Munich. The main one in, uh, in Franconia is, um, Nuremberg? uh, Nuremberg. Yeah. It is less than a two hour drive from each other. If you're taking the train, <laughs> it's about an hour. So it's like, they are not far from each other. And yet, they like to have this stance, people from these different areas, of like, no, 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 we're this. And we're not that. Uh, I was thinking about how, uh, you know, we can, if you've never been to a place, you could generalize because it's easier because it's like, well, I've never been there. So it's like, you said it sort of before, but it's like, we there's so many nuances that we're just not aware of because I've never been there. Uh, that we're just like, oh yeah, Germany, Franconia. But like, as we said, we're like, well, that'd be like saying that Portland and Seattle are the same and, you know, we're pretty close to each other. Right, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, you're both in the Pacific Northwest and it's like, but there's a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I think that's be mad if someone mis- Yeah, I don't think I'd be mad if someone mistaked me for a Portlander. Portlander? Portlandier? Portlandier? (laughs) That can't be right. That's not right. I'm a Portlandia! (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, like... I feel like that's kind of a good comparison because they are, you know, Seattle and Portland are quite similar but also quite different at the same time. Except that, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say that there's a distinct culture... That is that different in brewing. Correct. Because between Portland and Seattle, because like for Franconia, we're we're talking about there being a more yeast character in the lagers, at least according to what Ben said, mm-hmm. or it just being more expressive because the carbonation levels um, right. being lower and more like this kind of cool hybrid of like cask, like British cask tradition, but also with German influence which yeah. is probably just kind of a sneak into the past, right? I like, yeah, I most think beers so. were forced carbonated. Right. So they were all like served from a keg at one point, so they probably all tasted more franconian than they would like if you got a hellas today. For sure. Yeah, I I think you're right. It's like we have a very defined uh like outline of what these German loggers are in today's world, especially if we're talking about like actual style guidelines. Um, but back then, who, who who fucking knows what a hell is tasted like in 1800? And it's such a modern thing to want to put things into styles and like, yes, you know, if something doesn't fit into a style, then I think things are if things are better now when things don't fit into style. Like no one really cares as much. I mean, there might be some mm-hmm. grandpas and grandmas out there that care, but like. Or dinosaurs, I should say. <laughs> I mean, it's good to know if you are expecting something, you want it to taste that way. Yes. Yeah. If I ordered a Czech Pilsner and I got a Hellas, I'd be like, man, that's not what I wanted. Totally. Yeah. But it's also kind of like, some places are just like, what, I don't, what does it matter? Just like, this is our, this is the beer. Right. This is the yeah. color beer. 
Yeah. And it's like a crapshoot. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think that is why style definitions are important. So you know what you're getting. But as we talk in this uh, kind of interview with Ben, um, you really get a sense that that's like the attitude that a lot of Franconian brewers have is it's like, it doesn't have to be this, this and this. It's just how we make it. And that's what it is. And I do mention this in our chat with him, but it's very reminiscent of how Belgian brewers are. They're very mm-hmm. much like, why does this need to have a name? It's just what we brewed. It's like, Orval isn't called a, a Brett pale ale. It's just Orval. There's like, yes. you know, yes. And like the Saison tradition of like people, all the different mm-hmm. like Saison breweries, like Fantome or like, you know, all any of them. I wouldn't say Saison DuPont because it's pretty standard. Yeah. Deliciously standard. And I love that beer. But you know what I mean? There's other Saison breweries where it's like, who knows? A little spicier, a little spice not. You know, it'll be a little different every year. Right. I love yeah. that shit, right? Because then it's like, I mean, maybe it's, I don't know how commercially viable it is, but I guess it works. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's more true to the actual, like, farmhouse tradition and um, really exploring the concept of terroir and beer, which we talked about a lot. Do you think that it would be, like, akin to, this is very different, like, you know, Cloudburst makes IPAs. They make other beers, other styles, almost everything perfectly. But the IPAs change all the time different hops so it's a similar Mm -hmm. sort of thing like a very american version of franconian if i'm understanding it correctly that's like you know you're going to get an ipa but you just you aren't quite sure what it's going to be like yeah i think that is kind of a good way to put it and i think especially because if we're talking about washington breweries and oregon breweries um there is such a huge emphasis on hops because we washington state is the largest grower of hops in the world so like yeah, that I think that totally can be representative. We have access to more hops than a lot of other areas and states do. So we get the chance to explore like UW, University of Washington, University of Oregon, they have hop breeding programs. So we literally have direct access to scientists working on uh, different varietals and experimenting with how they can change the alpha acids beta acids and the flavor profiles so yeah i think that's kind of a good way to put it because it's like i think while yeast can really I, we define this with our interview with john I, I forget exactly what we say well i think yeast can really define like the flavor of a brewery like that's a holy mountain beer mm-hmm. uh, that's a lowercase beer um and i think cloudburst is similar in that way i feel like i kind of know when i'm having a cloudburst beer but even though they're all IPAs, not all of them, but, you know, we're drinking a lot of IPAs from Cloudburst. They really can be so different, you know, beer to beer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, or maybe it's just because, or if you were to generalize the United States, right, that we're known for either Budweiser, right, or like macro lagers, mm-hmm. or like our obsession with hops. Yeah. Which is like, cool. But it's like it changes all over the spectrum of like, so let's have a New England IPA or the West Coast or like the Mid Coast. <laughs> like Mid Coast. I call it the Mid Coast. Uh, like, you know, like Two Hearted is not really, it's a it's bitter like a West Coast, but has a little more malt character than like, let's say Blind Pig. 
Oh, yeah. And different malt character. Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting how like these different styles can be defined and brewed differently, even though you're calling it a certain thing. So a Northeast IPA in Seattle tastes different than a Northeast IPA in Vermont, but then their West Coast IPA in New York tastes different than the West Coast IPA in San Diego. Yeah. It's out of control. I'm thirsty. Kind of am too. Usually in the intro, I like to be like, this is what I'm drinking right now, but I'm not drinking anything because I have to go to work. <laughs> so yeah, it's okay. You have you'd coffee. I did have coffee. Now yeah. I feel crazy. I just, I think it's cool. This could be something that like other areas that like are not really talked about a lot. So Franconia, there's probably more info out there. There's really not though. I mean, we looked into it and it's, you know, there's not like a book written by it, like how, yeah. There's the book about Norwegian farmhouse brewing. Lars uh, Garhal, Garhal. Oh goodness, I don't know how to say his last name. Um, like, so that'd be cool. If someone could do that. We could, yeah. Do that. Should yeah, we do that? and I think Ben was kind of funny in this interview too because he was like, he's like, this is just what I've experienced. This is my opinion on like what I had when I was drinking there, and this is my interpretation of it. So he was making a point to be like this isn't a solid definition, but then even at the end of that, we're like, so do we just have to like go to Nuremberg to figure out (laughs) what this means? Because like you said, there's not like too much out there. I guess with any, like any place you, the only place, the only way you're really going to know is if you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like um, we were talking about Oktoberfest and we've never been to Oktoberfest and we're like, would we even like it? Like who knows? Right. Yeah. It seems like a mess. Yeah, I think it is. Fun. It's probably fun. We'd have to get into like VIP tent. Mm. It would or either have we- to be like VIP tent or it'd be like, don't even go to the actual festival. Just be in the Munich area during Oktoberfest. And like, <laughs> I, how can you avoid it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you probably could. It's not like every Muniker is like, into Oktoberfest. Yeah, I'm sure that people who live in the area, it's like a nightmare headache for them. God. So many tourists, too. And it's like, it's not just American tourists. It's like just tourists from all over Europe. It must be so sad that it's not happening this year. That is pretty devastating economically. Yeah, it's like the first time since World War One. I think. Since the bubonic plague. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the only other time it's ever... I think it was canceled during World War II. They just probably, kept going. Actually, you're probably right. It was one I, of the wars. But I mean, um, Hitler was in charge. He probably wanted everyone to do freaking Oktoberfest. Yeah. Ugh, yikes. Ugh. Um. But yeah, pretty crazy. That it's usually war that's fucking up shit in the beer world, and now it's a plague. So that's fun. Love that. Uh. So I forgot my point. Now I remember it. Uh. That. There's all there's so many different pockets like this around the world of like little places that we just have no idea about. Like the like mm-hmm. there's information about like the brewing in the South, right? Besides just uh, stupid slaveholding uh, founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Like we always hear that story about oh George Washington was a brewer, and it's like no, he wasn't. No fuck no. He freaking forced someone else to do it, and I don't. Yeah. The story's so boring. And like, I'm sorry. Can we talk about like? Maybe how not that like there's got to be other brewing. I mean, we talked about pumpkin and like the pilgrim. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. 
But like, there's just probably so many other sh- stories about areas of brewery that we're just like, have no idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something I need to educate myself more on in terms of like other places in the world too. It's like we we have so much information on these really big, uh, like historically important brewing regions, but it's like, I don't know, beer's probably being made in South America during these times too, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you ferment things based on the ingredients you have around you. So I don't know like how well these ingredients are growing in certain areas, but like, you know that this is happening and that's definitely stuff we need to look more into. Like chicha being like one of the more common ones known using corn and your Mm -hmm. own powers of your saliva to make it ferment. (laughs) So Uh, wild. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just like, and we could probably, it's hard, but we could, you know what you could do? Remember Mm -hmm. in college when you had access to like online catalogs? Yeah. Um, What the frick is it called? It's like, um. I mean, there was a lot of different ones. I remember JSTOR was one of yes. the big ones. Yes. Yeah. That's like a treasure trove. Right. Of just mm. like scholarly articles and like things that you could look up if you could go to a, a library. I think yeah. librarians are there to help you with that. <laughs> that might be their job. <laughs> and we just, um, we just can't go into libraries anymore. Okay. Well, we have some projects. Yeah, we and we need to find a current college student who can give us their like password and stuff to get into the um, these archives. Okay, college students out there, hit us up. Hit us up. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, I think we're just gonna get into the interview right now. Um, you know, grab a, a Franconian style beer, grab a Bavarian style beer, and uh, Bob and Frank as always. Yeah, Bob and Frank, baby. Um, Maybe that's what I'll call this episode. Um, and <laughs> Hi, I'm Bob. <laughs> um, yeah, and as always, you know, um, follow me at Just Just Beer. You can follow Shauna at Shauna Brews. And of course, at Seattle Beer School for all the fun education stuff we're doing there. And um, cheers. Cheers. Then can you say what? cheers? Cheers. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, we, we've recently just been talking a lot about... We're, so we're teaching an Oktoberfest um, class tonight. And uh, we've just been talking a lot about Bavaria and how there's kind of like... It kind of seems like there's a stylist, stylistic difference between Fr- Franconia and Bavaria. And I don't know. It's just kind of like terminology we've been hearing come up more. And when we first heard about your brewery... Um, that was kind of like some of the phrasing that was getting thrown around. So um, I guess I was just curious about like, you know, do you, does that feel like it applies to your brewing style? Like, do you consider you got your guys style kind of Franconian or like, how does that kind of play into the beer that you drink a lot of Franconian beers, but uh, this is all just kind of my opinion. What, what really struck me about Franconian beer. Uh, so is it okay if I give you a little bit of a backstory? Yes, please. All right. So I was working in Denmark um, and I had a friend. So I was brewing at this little brewery in Denmark and I had a friend who had worked at Cambridge Brewing Company with me, uh, Alden. And he was working in Germany, not as a brewer, but he was woofing uh, on a sheep farm. And so after about a year of working, uh, we decided we were going to take a trip together. Uh, He speaks German. 
so we were going to go to Oktoberfest for opening day. That was our, our last day there. And in between, we were going to drive around Bavaria and visit breweries. And as we're doing this, I got in contact with my friend, Dan Paquette, uh, who used to have a brewery called Pretty Things, him and his wife. And uh, he's like, oh, screw Bavaria. What are you doing? Go to Franconia. Go to Franconia. And I was like, ah, I don't even know where that is. He's like, it's just north of where you're going. Just go there. That's worth drinking. I don't know what you're talking about. Where should I go? And he gave me like a list of 10 places. And we, we picked the first one on it after about a week of drinking all around Bavaria and having the best lager beer I'd ever had. Just so clean, so beautiful. Just, And so then we pulled up to this place um, uh, in this town called, uh, called Munchsenbach and got out and they were closed, but my friend was able to kind of weasel his way. He's like, oh, you know, my friend's a brewer. Like, can you make 10 minutes? Okay, okay. And the owner, Stefan, came out and he opened up two bottles of beer for us and just like poured them and our jaws hit the floor. I had never had lager beer like that before. It was it was like 10 dimensionally expressive. It was yeast forward and it was maltier and it was everything about it was just turned up and more and different. And it was unfiltered. And we started talking with Stefan and I gave him the list of places my friend uh, Dan said we should visit. And he just was like, this is shit. This is shit. Don't go there. And he got out this map with Ophrantonia with all these tiny little black dots. And he's like, all of these dots are breweries. And, and it was just like a map of dots. So he's like, okay, these are the one. Go to this one and go to this one and go to this one. So we spent the day driving around visiting these breweries and it was one just mind-blowing experience after another. What And so eventually I ended up um, coming back and doing an internship there and spending a week working with them and learning more about how they make their beer. But the biggest take-home point was the beers were just, they, they weren't all doing the same thing. It wasn't, everyone makes a Hellas and the Hellas, I, I, don't get me wrong, I love Bavarian Hellas, but they're all, hey, here's the style. We're doing this thing to the style. It's a, it's kind of like Cezanne in, what does it mean? Like there's a bunch of people all kind of doing something super interesting and rustic. And in many cases, I think a lot of them are more yeast forward or just like outside the box. Um, they're just like very expressive versions of lager beers that are very, very different, at least than the lager beers that I was drinking in Bavaria. So when we decided that we were, when I came back from Europe and we were planning this brewery, Carolina and I definitely decided that that was the type of lager beer we wanted to focus on. Um, and so I took what I learned from working with, uh, at, at Munchenbach with Stefan and applied that to the kind of beers we made, not just like the technical aspects of it, but kind of the ethos of it and what we wanted the beer to be. Um, and we also got a bunch of the little uh, gravity kegs um, for serving them. And we carbonated our beers a lot lower, uh, which is something that a lot of those breweries do um, and that a lot of those brewers are really insistent upon. I don't know if I've answered your question um, at all. I think so. No, yeah, I think so too. And you know, what's interesting, you're saying like these log lager beer that's yeast forward, like sometimes, I don't know, at least in my experience with drinking and teaching and learning, um, is sometimes the, those fermentation flavors are more of a flaw. Like, oh, this was fermented at too high of a temperature. Like we shouldn't be getting this. But in the styles that you're talking about, it's actually like a, a positive attribute and like something that makes it more unique and not viewed as a flaw. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean, um, Hey, there's a ton of acetylaldehyde here, something like that. It's, it's more, oh, so that like the second or third time I went back to Munzenbach, 
Uh, I had never, I had never been there and sat in their cafe and had beer from on draft or from the little gravity kick before. I just, we bought in cases of bottles and delightfully drank those. And so we went in there and he, uh, Stefan met us and he poured us two uh, uh, half liters of it. And I remember just like getting the aroma of it and looking at my friend it being, what is banana doing in this beer? Mm. Not, not like having a Hefeweizen, not like, Oh, look at all that banana, all that isodamyl acetate. It's not, it's, it's subtle, but it, it was, I realized I wasn't just tasting clean malt and clean hops. It like, there's all of this kind of like extra tiny, like magic detail in so many of those beers. And I feel the same way. Um, when I go to Mars Brow and have their English pundit, like however one pronounces it, that beer. Yeah, we were just trying to. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about it. That's my best try. So it sounded uh, great. No, thanks. Well, and so I guess I guess that's to me, and I'm sure everyone, many Germans would disagree with me. It's their culture, not ours. But to me, that's what so many of those beers have in common is that they they have they're very yeast forward, not in a hey, there's a ton of yeast flavor here, but the the yeast isn't just doing the fermentation and kind of hiding in the back. It's, it's part of the, the whole display and the whole bouquet. And um, I think it's super interesting. And I, I don't know exactly why those beers are made that way, why so many people in that area have that way of doing it. Um, I know a lot of those beers, I believe a lot of those beers are unfiltered. Um, and so you, you definitely have some yeast and suspension of those beers, like a little bit. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it, it seems to me like, you know, I've never been to Franconia, um, but it seems that there's like this sort of similar, like, like the, these beers that you're speaking of have like so many different similarities to like, uh, you know, British casks or to like Belgian style beers. Belgium is exactly what I was thinking of because you were talking about this like individualism that you're experiencing more in Franconia than you saw in Bavaria. And that feels very reminiscent of the Belgian culture of brewing. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's, it's like all these little individuals in, in all these little villages all around um, and they're all doing their own thing. And they all have very strong opinions about what everybody else is doing. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That sounds very American. Don't get me wrong too. I mean, I, I might be completely mischaracterizing how the Bavarians feel about their brewing culture. Um, but it struck me just from the, the time that I spent there that, that everyone's kind of doing their own thing. It, so I feel like when I was in Bavaria, uh, it, there would be Hellas on the menu, there'd be Dunkel on the menu, there'd be Meritzen on the menu. And in many of the places that I went to in Franconia, there would, lots of things were just lager beers or something was a Zwickel beer or something was a Keller beer. And, and you can find those beers in other places too, but and everyone had a different explanation for what makes the beers different. So the place that I interned at, Munchenbach, they make three beers regularly. One is a vice beer, and then they make uh, export, which is 5.2%, and it's got a little bit of higher carb and a you know, little bit lower alcohol, and despite it being called export. And then they make lager beer, and lager beer is 5.5%, and it's got lower carb and higher alcohol. There were only two malts that we had to brew with, Pilsner malt or wheat when we were making the wheat. Like everything was just Pilsner malt and one or two hops and their house yeast, which they take care of in a very different way than I had seen before at another brewery. And 
and they make these really beautifully distinctive beers. Um, but yeah, but no one seems like uh, most of the people I talked to, they didn't seem very insistent that you have to call this beer that, or this is a, you know, exactly to style as a lager beer or a Zuckel beer or a land beer. It was, Hey, here's the beer. Here's what we're calling it. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like th there were a lot less, uh, Everyone was coloring outside the lines. There were less lines that needed to be colored with them. People just made beer that they really enjoyed. And then everyone around town had very strong opinions about who made the best. But so. <laughs> Yeah, again, it's like kind of funny to think about that. Um, I, I don't know. It's like pretty easy for us to assume again, like we're not German. Well, wait, what is it? Your last name? My last name is Keller. So I guess I, I have some <laughs> German blood in me. <laughs> but um keller beer it's your beer it is my beer um but it, it, i think it's like a a stereotype i guess for german beer for it to be like this is what it is and if you're not doing it this way then it's incorrect like they're so good at making the really clean lagers and like you're, you were saying at first like kind of how like a municellus is gonna kind of taste everywhere the same around um, but this, even though, again, Franconia is not far from Bavaria at all, but they have like these two separate, like, I don't want to say like intensity of what their culture is, but it's just so interesting that it's both Germany and yet we're having such different takes on how things should be brewed or if they should be falling within guidelines of a style. It's just like... Y'all aren't that far away, and yet it feels so different. And like, no, this is the way that we're doing it. Not to say that one's better than the other, but oh, sure. Well, they they definitely again just characterizing and making you know painting with a very broad brush. The the Franconians that I knew, they seem to feel very protective of their culture. As that, all right, I, I came in, I came in during my internship, and they were watching uh, a football match, and uh, it was Bayern versus someone and i was like oh blah blah blah. looks like byron's winning you guys don't look very happy and they're like why would we be happy and i was like byron's bavarian like aren't you and they're like, like we are not rooting for the bavarians <laughs> okay my <laughs> mistake but uh no i, I, I think <laughs> a different a different group kind of like i don't know people in different regions of the u.s kinda... feel, even though we're all part of one country feel oh you know we're from the pacific northwest like that's our thing. We're not, we're not like just people in California. I was going to say it's like uh, in New York City, if, uh, you know, if someone says like, you're from Brooklyn and someone thinks you're from Staten Island, you're freaking better wow. shut your mouth. <laughs> oh, you think yeah. I'm from Queens? You joking yeah. me? I'm not with that trash. I'm from <laughs> Brooklyn. Yeah, I think it's something probably akin to that. We're... Or like New Jersey, even worse. Someone's like, oh, I'm from New Jersey. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Get out of here. When like from some, like a German, a Bavarian would be like, it's New York City. Right. Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> well, so one of the things that, um, that uh, my mentor, Stefan, felt very strongly about um, was carbonation. And he, he always used, he told me many times that the brewers in Bavaria uh, their beers were overcarbonated. That they their beers you, you couldn't taste what their beer tasted like because there was too much gas, and you had to. And that even when he would pour his own beers, which had very low carbonation, he would pour them often from quite high in order to scrub out a little bit more and make this really beautiful head on the beers. And he felt, and I I completely agree with him, um, that 
having a beer that's like way lower carb than you'd ever expect it to be, it makes it so drinkable. And I, I love drinking beers like that. And when we did our, we did a little Oktoberfest party here um, with uh, four of the other breweries in the neighborhood. We we filled gravity kegs of all of our Oktoberfest beer, our fest beer, and it was um, it was pretty carbonated. And so we had a draft version which we didn't serve all weekend, and all we did was just serve it from the cask or from the the gravity keg. And it's such a different experience. It's the same beer, it from the same batch, and kegged them at the same time. And something about just scrubbing that extra bit of carbonation and forming that nice head on it, um, it just goes down so much smoother and it makes me want to drink more of it. And in that sense, I think he's, he's definitely right. Like, and that's something that I, I think a lot of brewers, it, to paint again, the broad brush, a lot of Franconian brewers do is they, they often have beers with much softer carbonation. Hence, uh, Ungespunde, you know, un, unstopped. Or whatever exactly it means, the, the, the notion that you don't, you don't have a lot of pressure on it and that you don't have a lot of carbonation built up in the beer. Yeah, which would I guess would be similar to like British casks, right? Like any sort of carbonation yeah. is happening from the yeast, not any sort of forced carbonation happening. And that lower carb level to me is making sense as to why you were experiencing more intense flavors when you like when you're saying you were going from like Bavaria up to uh, Franconia, and it's like, wait, this is like technically the same style, but I'm picking up on all these other notes that, that may come from the malt, may come from the yeast. And I guess I wasn't really thinking about how carbonation would affect that, but it seems like that has a part to do with it. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I have a question about, um, so Keller beer, right? So, and you know, you have one or two on your, or you've made a, a, a couple. We, yeah. We, we call our Franconia inspired beers Keller beers. Cause I don't, I don't know what else to call them. That like, makes sense to people. So. Yeah, no, it made sense to me. If you want to talk a little bit about what that means and like, and you know, maybe to tie into that about the beers being a little more yeast for and then you would imagine with other, dare I say, Bavarian lagers, you know, I'm curious what your process is. Well, so um, again, I'm sure many German brewers that have a different take on it. Um, my understanding is when we, we use the term Keller beer or Zwickel beer, we mean beer from the cellar, right? Um, beer that is not, hasn't gone through filtration and hasn't gone into kind of a final package. Um, and so the beers that we're trying to make, we, we have several lager tanks, uh, horizontal little lager tanks, um, where we store our beer after we do a quick primary fermentation of like um, pretty much, uh, it spends about two weeks in the FV. Um, and then once I have it, down cooler and harvest yeast and we send it right over to the horizontals and it spends three to four to five weeks there just getting bright and maturing um yeah our no matter what our beer isn't filtered we're not using findings and all of our beers definitely have a little bit of haze in them despite spending a lot of time brightening up uh in the horizontal tanks but they all basically through what we're trying to do in terms of our pitching rate and our pitching temperatures and our um, just our fermentation profile. And then when we spooned it and what we do with the beer during fermentation, all of that is trying to get a little bit more yeast character out of the beers, trying to get a little bit more yeast flavor. Um, one of the other things that we have done recently is I got, so I was using uh, the yeast that I used when I worked at Wayfinder um, and that the guys at the guy's kind of all around. The most commonly used lager yeast in the world, 3470. It's a workhorse. It's beautiful. 
Um, we made all of our first beers using that because everything kind of got messed up with COVID and we ended up getting rid of a couple of our first batches that we brewed back in February and we weren't opening until June. So, oh, man. Uh, so we were a little in a bit of a crunch and I was like, I, I need to get some yeast. So I called my friend Kevin, my old boss at uh, Wayfinder and he let me snag some yeast. So we brewed all of our initial batches of 3470 um, and approached them in different ways, kind of experimenting a bit, trying to get the, the yeast character that we wanted out of the beers. And sometimes we were happy and sometimes we weren't. And then I finally got a slant of yeast sent over from Germany um, from, that was recommended by someone that my mentor gets his yeast from. Okay. And it was a, kind of a long story about where this yeast comes from. So I got the slant sent over and we brewed Household Gods with it, um, our, our pale color beer. And I was just blown away by what a different character it had. It, it was putting off this kind of like overripe banana um, or like banana bread character to it, like subtly, but it was there and it, it flocked differently and it had a different profile and it harvested differently. Like everything was weird about it and beautiful. And so then we decided let's try brewing all of our beers, all the beers we've already brewed, um, including uh, our Amber Keller beer. And uh, we're gonna, we did our fest beer with it and we're doing our pills with it. We just released our pills just to see what we think of this yeast and can we make this our house yeast? And I will say the jury is still out. I'm, I'm not totally convinced that we, this is gonna work for all the lager beers we're gonna make. Um, uh, again, I think I kind of lost track and didn't answer your question. Um, we're talking about process and- You, you did. So, I mean, I was, just, yeah, I was just asking about, you know, Keller beers and about yeast forwardness. So it's interesting because it's it seems like it's sort of like you've kind of created this sort of hybrid yeast in a way or like the yeast itself or whatever, you know, whatever slant you got. It seems to be giving off more of like, I'm going to be very American and need to stylize something. But like, it seems to be a little more heffy, you know, like a little more like um, ale like. I would say, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely one way to put it. It's um, I think it's just it's a more expressive lager yeast than I've worked with in that it it's creating more ester character. It's, it's creating just more flavor than I'm used to from using 3470 or other lager yeasts that I've used occasionally. Like it, it just, it's expressive is the term. It just, it, it has more to it. It's still fermenting super cold. I'm still knocking out at like seven Celsius and fermenting at like nine or 10, which is pretty darn cold, but that flavor is there. And I really like that with our Keller beers. I'm not totally convinced I want that with our pills, um, but, but we'll see. Like I said, the jury's still out. Um, and, and then I'm kind of curious, is there a way to restrain it? Is there a way to get this yeast to ferment cleaner? I don't know. So yeah, it's kind of a period of experimentation right now. Um, yeah, but even, even using, uh, 3470, which we used all the time, uh, at that Wayfinder, it, it it's so interesting. Like we had our Hellas and then I had some Wayfinder Hellas and I had some Chuckanut Hellas. Both of those beers I absolutely adore. And just to see how different are, we, we tasted all of them blind. Um, and what really stuck out to me was how yeast forward our beer ended up being, even without using, it wasn't with the new yeast, it was with the 3470. I think the way that we've kind of approached our fermentation um, and our lagering is leading to it being more yeast forward. And the question is, you know, is that something that we're really, we're actually good at doing, or is it something that's going on in our process? Can we make a beer as clean as Chuck and I? Can we make a beer as clean as Wayfinder? I don't know. 
if we can't, then we're not really good at what we're doing. We just happen to have this happy accident. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're still, there's a lot of experimentation and figuring things out going on. So, yeah, I guess it wouldn't be very fun if you, if your beers were exactly like theirs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I enjoy drinking them quite a lot. They are very good, but you know, it's, it's, uh, they're, they're both very different from each other. Oh, they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, I guess, um, another question I got for you is, was this, this like yeast experimentation you're kind of talking about, is that something that you kind of went into this business thinking about when you were like, you know, putting the plans together for other lands and stuff like that? Or, cause you mentioned you kind of like got this yeast shipped over from Germany. So was that just like, Oh, well, this is what's happening now. And now we're going to see what's happening. Or were you, did you always have the intention to do more yeast experimentation? always had the intention um but just ran into like one snafu after another trying to get them to send me a slant of yeast i tried to get them to send it to the yeast company i always work with and they're like you need an fda number and, like, and then the yeast company i normally work with is like we don't have an fda number nobody does and then I, oh boy yeah it, it took me a while to find someone who could actually receive it and then then when i did now they have that slant um it was always our goal the other thing is like spent the whole time I was working at Wayfinder and since I got back from Europe, just homebrewing a ton and trying to take what I learned from working with Stefan um, and implement it on a homebrew scale, just, just working on these beers and Hey, how can I make a beer that tastes like that? And uh, made something I really, really dug and got a, a fermentation profile that worked really well. And then the first couple of batches I brewed here, it's like, Oh, it's nothing like it. That hasn't worked at all. And, um, obviously using very different equipment on a very different scale, um, you get very different results, but it was just like, ah, God damn it. We're back to the drawing board. Um, and now I think we're a little bit more dialed in using 3470 and I I like what we're getting, but, uh, yeah, we always wanted to be using this, this Franconian quote, quote yeast. And now that we are, uh, it's a whole nother set of experiments that are going on. Hopefully our customers don't mind. We just are slightly different between batches as we try to find something that we like even more. So, I think that's cool. Yeah, and I I think I've only had one of your beers so far, which was the um, Keller Amber Lager, um, which was delicious. It was kind of the hit at Slow Boat when we had our little mini Pilsner Fest. Um, It was kind of what everyone was drinking. It was great. Um, From the Gravity Keg. From the Gravity Keg, of course. Um, Yeah, and so how long have you guys been open for? We opened uh, three months. We opened at the end of June. Damn, dude. So congrats on that because trying to open during COVID is freaking gnarly. And, you know, I we've heard so many good things about you guys, like brewer friends that we have across Seattle. I've had a few of my friends be like, so have you been there yet? And I'm like, I, they're, didn't they just open? <laughs> like, <laughs> how come you're not there yet? Um, so, you know, definitely at a point where we feel it's safe to travel it's we haven't done a bellingham trip since last summer so like we um but yeah we'll definitely have to find some time to make it up there because everyone down here is really excited about your beer well that's great i want to add one thing or ask one thing i think it's really fun and it's hard because the age of stupid covid but the use of like gravity kegs and casks and stuff like that which are just such an experience right like and not they're not like that's accessible because people just don't have them around as much. So like, you know, if I were to bring this up with my mom, she'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, what is that? 
And I bring up my mom because she likes beer, but she, you know, and I think that's such a really, it's a really cool to have that as part of your model is that using something like that to serve your beer. Um, and I also think it's really cool that you talked about, is it Stefan who owned um, the brewery that did like a crazy big pour? Like Jess and I always talk about how you should pour every beer like that. So I have mad respect for that. He has very strong feelings about gas and beer. So that's, uh. Yeah. But anyways, I just think that's, is that something that you always want to be doing then is having um, like gravity kegs available and well, well, yeah. So uh, on our original model and our business plan, um, and we actually printed it on our menus. We've now since removed it, but our plan is to have gravity kegs on every day. And right now we can't do it. Um, just business is too uncertain. We don't know how many people are coming in, but most of our sure. gravity kegs are 20 liters. We were able to get, uh, through a friend, a couple of 10 liter kegs, um, which isn't the biggest deal. If we, if we tap it, like that's, that's 20, you know, 20 half liter pint, uh, or yeah. so I think we can do those. No problem. I think we just got to kind of get a better feel for the flow of business, especially, um, with COVID times and everything. I think once we do that, like our goal is to always have a beer available from the gravity keg. Cause it's just, like you said, it's, it's an experience. And, uh, I think it's a lot of fun and I think beer, a lot of beers taste better that way. So if we can do that every day, I think that'd be great. Um, we were able to manage it during the, uh, during our fest, but, uh, yeah, that's the goal. We're we're not there yet. But. It's the way the way you talk about your brewery seems like you've been open for three years rather than three months. <laughs> so, well, I think it's really, there's a lot of excitement. <laughs> <laughs> it, there's a lot of um, I'm excited. I can't wait to come up and um, and hang. Awesome. Well, let us know when you're coming, and we'll make sure that we're not on the floor or, or doing something that we can't pull ourselves away from. So. Or you can just keep doing your cool thing and we'll just be like, okay, they're busy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll still come no matter what. Well, we'd love to meet you guys in person. So We would too. Yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on with us and sharing your knowledge. It was super helpful. I mean, like we were just saying that we didn't know how to define Franconian. And I think you really helped us out there. So we cool. appreciate you spreading the knowledge. Please, uh, please just take it all with a grain of salt and know that this is just my experience of being there and, there's a lot of people who, A, know a hell of a lot more and uh, probably have much stronger feelings about it. So, <laughs> Well, props for making the beer that you love. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Have a great time and enjoy teaching your class tonight. Thank you. That was a Titan Cast episode.